You're listening to Logan's Garden Shop Podcast, where we bring you fun facts and helpful tips on everything you need for a healthy garden and a healthy life. We'll bring you growing tips from gurus, share stories from our community, and show you how plants can improve your health. So tune in and get ready to grow well, give well, and live well. Welcome friends, this is Leslie Logan Brown. I'm one of the third generation owners of our unique garden center here in downtown Raleigh, North Carolina. On today's episode, you'll be hearing from our longtime friend and partner, Bryce Lane, about container gardening. He'll be sharing about the advantages of growing in containers, the principle of flexibility and mobility, the artistic approaches of arranging your containers, and the horticultural science of growing in containers. I know you're gonna enjoy this episode. Today's Grow Well tip is about Permatil, a product we love that you can find here at Logan's. Permatil is made of natural porous slate particles that will help you with aeration. When gardening in containers, we recommend that you mulch with a quarter inch of Permatil as a way to keep squirrels from tearing up your beautiful creations. It works like a charm. It's also super helpful for improving drainage. So stop by and grab a bag today as you're preparing for those containers and grow well with Logan's. Okay now, here's Bryce. Well, about 15 years ago, I was leading yet another international field trip for our horticulture students at NC State University. And this time we were visiting the United Kingdom and specifically we're focusing in and around London and in the Southeast region of England, which is very garden rich. And one of the most famous gardens to visit down there is a place called Great Dexter. It was owned and operated by the late Christopher Lloyd, a renowned English horticulturist who wrote a number of books on gardening, using color in the garden and whatnot. And so it was a must see. So we, we found ourselves there at the garden, walking around just in awe of the beautiful gardens that he created. But I noticed that he, he really had a commitment to growing plants in containers. And in fact, some places he actually took 15, 20, 25 different containers filled them with different types of plants, annuals, perennials, succulents, woody plants, and literally made an arrangement, one on a patio. He made this arrangement of plants in containers. And, um, and then in the front of his house, on either side of the front door, of course, the house dated back to 1200 AD. And so, so you think, you know, in front of the house, this beautiful, beautiful architectural wonder. But on either side, he had, again, conglomerations of pots put together with different plants, almost like a flower arrangement. And actually, Christopher Lloyd coined the term potscaping. And he said potscaping is when you take a number of plants in containers and you combine them together to create a look or a design. And he said what's great about potscaping is you can switch it out. If you have plants that stop flowering, you can pull them out of the arrangement, put new ones in, or if you get bored with the way it looks, you can recreate it by moving those around. So it's a great idea. Potscaping is a horticultural technique that you can use both in, in a garden where you have plants in the ground, but it also works really well, you know, up on balconies and patios and that type of thing. So that story kind of leads into today's topic, which is all about gardening and containers. This is a trend that has been growing and growing and growing for the last 10, 15 years, and it's still 
increasing in its popularity. If you visit Logan's, you can see the commitment that they have to having all kinds of containers that you can choose and use in your garden. And so potscaping just is the perfect lead in, if you will, to this concept of gardening and containers. So we're gonna talk a little bit about um, how we use containers in our garden, some of the advantages. Then we'll talk about um, some of the artistic approaches to arranging plants in containers, because I know a lot of people sometimes are a little bit, uh, just a little bit hesitant to go about doing their own containers. Uh, and then, then we'll talk about the, the culture, the horticulture about that as well. Now, like I said, um, you know, Americans today are, are probably spending somewhere between one and a half and $2 billion a year on gardening and containers for supplies, soil, plants, and whatnot. And there's, there's gotta be a reason why this, this is growing so. Well, first of all, it's been identified that we baby boomers are getting older and, um, and we're trying to downsize and reduce the scope of our gardening endeavors. And container gardens lend itself very well to that. Add that to an increased popularity in urban living where people are living in apartments, high-rise condos, where they have no soil that they can actually dig into. And the idea of growing plants in containers becomes a must, but that enables you to garden even if you're you know, 100 feet up in the air and, and you have nothing but a balcony. So that's also contributed to it. And then, of course, container gardening can be quite affordable because you can garden on a small scale and you don't have to spend too much money for those container gardeners. So the, those are just some of the reasons why I think gardening in containers is, has come along. The other thing we've realized from a scientific perspective is there aren't many plants at all that on a list that can't grow well in containers. You can just about put any kind of plant in a container if you understand how it grows, how its roots grow, and how you can facilitate that growth. So you can use woody plants, you can use herbaceous perennials, succulents, fruits and vegetables lend themselves very well to growing in containers as well. Okay, so let's identify some of the advantages to growing plants in containers, all right? We're, we're really looking at the, that concept of, you know, why is it so advantageous? Well, first of all, one of the best advantages is that the level of flexibility and mobility that you have. These are gardens that are mobile. You can pick them up and move them. Now, granted, wet soil weighs a lot. One cubic foot of soil, when it's wet, weighs about 90 pounds. And so there's some limitations relative to the mobility aspect. But the idea that it's, it's flexible, you can change them in and out. You don't have to, you know, you're not committing to the same kinds of plants in the same place all the time. You can move them around. I, I had some decorative containers that I would put in the front of my house. And then if, if I was having friends over and uh, we we're going to be out on the patio, I just go out in the front, put them in the wheelbarrow, bring them around and decorate in the back. And so I was able to, to, to use that as an advantage for, uh, for my garden. So that's the first thing, first advantage. Second advantage is we can garden above the ground. If we don't have good soil to grow in, if we don't have any soil to grow in, we can now grow plants in containers. And there's, like I said, no limitation on the kinds of plants. So you can have, you can have a vegetable garden, even if you live on a high rise apartment or condo and all you have is a balcony facing south or southeast, you can grow tomatoes, you can grow peppers, and you can, you can actually grow your own food, which is really quite exciting as well. But you can also decorate by using ornamental plants, both woody ornamentals and, and uh, uh, herbaceous plants. Uh, the gardens can be temporary or they can be permanent. You can put plants in there that you, you're going to switch out on a yearly basis or even a seasonal basis, but there are also plants that you can put in there and quote unquote grow them more than one year. Think of woody plants or herbaceous perennials. Container gardens are a great way to highlight and accent living spaces. Uh, patios, 
uh, decks, front porches, uh, walkways, driveways, that type of thing. But also, you can use container gardens to accent the existing landscape that you have, the plants in the, in the ground itself. So that's, a, that's another great, um, a great advantage as well, that you can, you can highlight spaces and you can do it either permanently or temporarily. So that's a, another great advantage. Um, the other advantage is, believe it or not, um, gardening in containers conserves water. Now you might think, are you kidding me? If I have a plant or some plants in a container in the summertime, I might need to water that in the morning and then water it again late in the day. I didn't say that the, the frequency of watering is decreased. I said the amount of water that we use. Plants in containers use less water per square foot than plants in a landscape bed because it, there's a container there. And so all the water we put in is confined to that container. Now, that container may dry out more quickly than a landscape bed, but over time, you'll use less water if you, you garden in containers. So it's not that terribly um, difficult to keep those containers um, growing well, provided that we commit to watering. Just like any kind of a hobby, we have to, to commit. And in fact, container gardening is so popular right now. There are places um, all over the world that actually have festivals uh, where you can go and visit cities or towns and um, they have all their their container gardens um, uh, uh, open to the public to view. One specifically is in, in uh, Spain. It's called the Cordoba Patio Festival. It's in a little town of, of Cordoba, um, Spain. And uh, they open up in late May and, and June and actually have a festival where everybody grows plants in containers and then you, it's open to the public. So that's, that's kind of a, a, of a cool thing. But so you've got all these, these advantages, if you will, of using plants in containers. But y'all, there's some other ones too. Like I mentioned, potscaping allows us to create unique garden spaces that are temporary and that we can change out seasonally or even on a yearly basis. But think also about the advantages of potscaping. All my hostas that I grow are in containers. Now you say, well, is that because you're trying to create a unique and interesting potscape? No, what I'm doing there is I'm preventing voles from eating the roots. Um, I do struggle, and like many of us gardeners, we have animal pests that get in our garden, and voles are a perfect example of th that kind of, uh, of an animal pest. And voles, um, they're not moles. Moles eat grubs and insects that feed on, on turf grass roots, okay? Voles, on the other hand, are smaller. They just, just tunnel underneath the surface of the soil, and they generally eat roots of plants. And perhaps you've had a plant succumb to a vole attack where one day it's looking perfectly healthy and two days later it's wilted and, and, and over. Voles absolutely love hosta. They're their favorite plant. And so all my hosta, and I love growing hosta, all my hostas are in containers. And I'm able to grow them and display them in the garden. They're actually incorporated into the garden beds, but they're in containers. And that prevents the voles from eating the roots and I'm able to um, keep those plants going. Uh, I thought I had gotten rid of all my voles, and so I took a couple of hostas out of containers and put them into garden beds this, this past, uh, th not this, this gardening season, but last season. And sure enough, within maybe about three weeks, I don't know where the voles came from, but they came in and those, those hostas succumbed. So I'm, I'm going to keep mine in those containers from here on out. Oh, and here, here's another really, really important advantage of using uh, plants, in, plants in containers. If you have a plant that's incredibly um, enthusiastic, okay, borderline invasive, things like mints, okay, if you grow mints for an herb garden or if you're growing a mint for, a, for an ornamental garden, um, they can become very, they can spread like wildfire and you'd be pulling mint out in your garden and increases the labor. 
Well, if I grow a mint, like I love mountain mint, it's a plant called Pycnanthemum muticum. It's called mountain mint. It attracts all kinds of pollinators. I grow that plant in my garden, but I grow it in a container to keep it from spreading and taking over garden areas. Another one is bee balm. Bee balm is a great plant for pollinators and for color in the garden for full sun. But if you plant bee balm in the garden and it really likes that spot, it's liable to take over the whole garden space and increase the level of maintenance that you have to contain it. Grow it in a container and you can put it right in the same spot in that container and that's going to, pardon the pun, it's going to contain it a little bit. So all kinds of great, great advantages to using um, plants in containers. I love the fact that there's no limitation on the kinds of plants we can use. All right, so now we want to just take a very simple approach to um, designing plants and containers. Y'all, I've got two principles I want to share with you relative to design, and I maintain that if you follow these two principles, you'll be, you'll be hitting it out of the park when it comes to uh, uh, your container gardens. People will be saying, what, wow, you're a genius. How did you come up with this? And please understand that gardening is a very personal thing. If there are three or four plants that you love to see together, don't, don't be embarrassed or don't apologize for putting them together in a container. Um, it's your garden. You, you, you're the one looking at it most of the time. Be, be okay with that. But there are some basic design principles that we can follow. First has to do with uh, putting plants in the container. Now, if we're going to use a combination container planting where we're going to plant more than one, you always, first thing you want to think about is odd numbers. You always want to put, if you're going to put more than one of a certain kind of a plant in a container, think odd. Think one, three, five. All right. Um, so if you're going to use uh, more than one uh, petunia in a container, you want to be doing either put one in as a highlight or an accent plant or put three in or put five in a container. Uh, stay away from twos and fours. All right. So think odd. That's the first thing. Second thing, and this is the main uh, design idea for a combination planter. Thriller, filler, spiller. Okay. You've got these three words that end in ER. Okay. Thriller, filler, spiller. The idea is that you're going to create a, a container garden that has one thriller plant. And a thriller plant is a plant that we, we might say is akin to an accent or a specimen plant. But the thriller plant is going to be one that's going to dominate the vertical plane. It may be in the middle of the container or the back end of the container, but it, it potentially is the tallest. All right. It may be uh, a, a calocasia, an elephant ear. It could be... Um, a, uh, a woody plant that's that that has some height to it, but we're thinking, you know, th thriller. It's it's the main focus. All right, the the tallest one. Then filler are the plants that you're putting in the midsection. That's going that are, that's going to be planted around the thriller plant. It's going to fill up that midsection of the container. And so with thriller uh, with filler plants, you're thinking of of plants that have lots of flowers or very very special and unique looking foliage. And it fills up that midsection. Um, I often like will see things like coleus as a as a filler plant, or I'll see the ornamental sweet potato as a possible filler plant. There's no limitation on the kinds of plants. Pentis, petunias, calabrocoa. These are all the plants of vinca. These are all plants that are gonna, gonna grow about up anywhere from eight to twelve to fifteen inches tall and fill that midsection. And then the spiller, you know, that's almost self-explanatory, okay? In a container, you don't necessarily want to see the container all by itself over time. And so you're going to put something that's going to weep or hang down over. And 
you know, there are petunias you can use. There are, you know, English ivy. There are sweet potato vines. There are lots of different types of plants that are going to spill over. I've seen ferns used that spill on over and then soften the margins of the container. Uh, if you go into creating a container garden thinking thriller, filler, spiller, then, then you're going to be able to, um, you'll be able to fill that container. Here's the other thing too. Um, and by the way, midsummer, it's not too late to create new containers with the warmth that we have in the late growing season to put together some containers even now, even today is, is not a, not a problem in the middle of the summertime because you're going to get an extended level of color and benefit from those container plants that you start now. And many of the container uh, combinations that you put together in the early to mid spring, by now they look kind of tired and maybe you want to pull some of the plants out and incorporate new ones. So there's lots of flexibility when it comes to, you know, your container gardening there. So that's a, a you know, a really good approach to take the thriller, filler, spiller. The last thing about design that I want you to be thinking about is color. Okay. And so, so when it comes to color, one of the things that, that I like to employ, and it makes me look really smart when it comes to putting my, uh, my containers together is a concept called color echo, color echo. Now color echo is basically the idea that we're going to be using plants that have either flowers or foliage or a combination thereof that are similar in color tone. All right. And we're going to incorporate them into a container. I'll give you an example. There's a black eyed Susan called Denver Daisy and Denver Daisy, black eyed Susan picture. This is a big, big giant um, date, you know, daisy flower, big black eyed Susan flower. And of course the middle, the, the, the black eye is, is a dark burgundy to, to black. Those are where the seeds are produced. But then you've got the yellow flower, the yellow ray flowers that come out all the way, radiate all the way around. Well, in Denver Daisy, um, the base of those flowers is burgundy. All right. And so you have this big yellow flower with this burgundy halo around. Well, there are a number of plants that have burgundy leaves that you could incorporate into a container if you have Denver Daisy Black Eyed Susan. I'm thinking one called Joseph's Coat. It's uh, Altanothera. It's, there's a cultivar, there's a, a variety of Altanothera that's uh, burgundy leaf. And that burgundy color is the same tone as the burgundy, you know, that maroon burgundy that you see in Denver Daisy. So you put the two together and, and what it does is it creates unity and harmony in a combination. And so if you put those two in a container, voila, you've got this great, great color echo going on. Or how about using a red mandevilla with a uh, caladium that has red in the veins of the leaves and then add to that a red or a pink pentis. Now the whole container doesn't have to be the same tone, but you could use two or three in a container that, that connect like that, that create that echo. I remember one combination that I did. I had a, a, a big container planter on my uh, front uh, porch and next to it, I had another container uh, where I planted a pink mandevilla vine. And so I had the, the one container with the pink mandevilla vine going up. And then the, the container that sat on top of the railing had vinca in it, periwinkle. And it had white, pink, uh, periwinkle. And the pink was the same tone as the, uh, as the mandevilla. And then the white, if you're familiar with periwinkle, the, the little center had a little kind of a reddish pink tone little circle around the center. So now we got a kind of a double color echo going on with a little red circle on the white echoing with the pink ones and then both of those echoing with the mandevilla vine. And then if you stood back on the front porch and you looked out into the landscape, I had a crepe myrtle off in the distance with pink flowers. 
So there's another color echo. So you can see how you can use color echoes uh, as well. The other thing to remember before we wrap up this section on design is that you want to use um, colors that are opposite each other on the color wheel. Things like yellows with purples, oranges with blue, purple, that type of thing, green and red, okay? Uh, you want to take a look at the color wheel and look at um, what's opposite of the color wheel. And that gives you the opportunity to put combinations together that work real well. I like, to use, um, I like to use orange and blue and yellow and purple. I like to use those a lot because for the eye, it's, it's quite pleasing. So remember, anything goes there, but if you follow those basic design principles of thriller, filler, and spiller, and color echo, you can't really go wrong. Now all we've got to do is talk about how we go about putting that container garden together. So we'll do that in another section in just a few minutes. On today's Give Well segment, we want to highlight something near and dear to our hearts, our Plant a Row for the Hungry program. For 12 years now, Logan's has facilitated this amazing program in Wake County by giving you generous people free soil and seeds to grow a little extra in your garden for those in need. We operate on the honor system and eagerly await each season as participants bring in fresh produce to our store. Then, we work with the food shuttle and other local food pantries to make sure your produce gets into the hands of those who need it most. And we offer rewards to you as well. The more you donate, the more rewards you accumulate. Do you want to join the movement to grow for the greater good? It's easy. Just click the link in our episode notes or visit our website to sign up. Grow well and give well with Logan. Well, now it's time to talk about the horticulture that goes into growing plants in containers, the science, if you will. Now, just because we're growing plants in containers doesn't mean that we can ignore the environmental parameters that go around selecting a plant for a particular location. Vegetables and plants that have lots of flowers that require full sun are still going to require six plus hours of direct sunlight. You can't grow a tomato plant in a container in a shady location just because it's in a container and you can monitor water and fertility a little bit better. No, you still need that sunlight. So those selection criteria don't change. We need to pay actually more closer attention to them as we go along. But what we want to talk about now is we're going to build the plant. We're going to start with a, a container and we're going to build a container garden, if you will. We'll start with a container, move right on up through all the different aspects of cultural care for, for plants and containers. So let's talk about the container, the pot. All right. Um, guys, if you don't remember anything about this podcast except this next one thing, then you'll garden in containers a whole lot better. And that's very simply this. All containers that we grow plants in must, I repeat, must have at least one drainage hole. There has to be some way for excess water to percolate through that soil column and exit out through the bottom. Now, if you listen to the houseplant podcast that uh, we did, much of this information is very similar. It doesn't change just because you're growing a plant indoors versus growing a plant outdoors. So you can go back and, and listen to those two if, if I'm not <laughs> as clear as I need to be on this one. Okay, so every time you put soil into a container, you've created what's called a soil column. And what we know is that the physical properties of uh, that soil change when you contain it. And so therefore, it doesn't necessarily drain as well. Soil outside, when we grow plants outside, water movement is vertical, okay? And it's also horizontal. So we can get percolation of water down. We can also get percolation of water out. 
In a container, it can only go down, and that changes the physical properties. Therefore, we need to be very concerned about the container and the kind of media we put into the container. So first and foremost, all containers must have a drainage hole so excess water can, can escape. With that being said, growing plants outside, you probably don't want to use a saucer uh, to collect the excess water like you would indoors to protect the floors and whatnot. Outside, you want to have that drainage hole drain into the, onto the patio or in the ground. Now, if, if you have a pool and you want to put containers around the pool and you're concerned about the water that drains out the drainage hole getting into the swimming pool, then that's when you'd want to use a, a saucer and then empty that water accordingly. But plants out in the, in the landscape or on patios, places where it can drain freely, you just let that water drain through the drainage hole. People always say, well, does it need one hole? Does it need five holes? doesn't really matter y'all as long as there's a hole for excess water you the water's going to percolate through it's going to fill all the pores in that soil then it then the larger pores are going to empty and air will fill there and then the smaller pores will stay filled with water and so so the idea of of a of a, of a container with a drainage hole is going to keep that soil aerated and it's going to keep that soil quote unquote healthy for good root growth now whether you use plastic or clay or some kind of glazed ceramic really doesn't matter it's really up to your own personal preference that's that's an important thing and what we do know about the containers is it's probably better to have a container that's long and slender than one that's short and fat if we're using a short fat container then we probably want to use a medium that drains better and we'll talk about that when we get into into potting soil so let's relax a little bit when it comes to containers make sure it has a drainage hole and go from there you might find a container that doesn't have a drainage hole and it's beautiful it's decorative and you want to use it oh my gosh you want to use it well it doesn't mean you can't use it you can do one of two things one you can drill a hole in that container or you can take the plant put it in a utility pot and then insert that plant with its utility pot into the decorative container with no drainage hole. Now it's important to create space between the drainage hole and the bottom of the decorative container. And you can put, you can put stones in there or gravel in there to raise it up, or you can just, you can put a little um, something just for the excess water to, to, to separate from the drainage hole. You don't want that water wicking back into the container. So that's, that's the first thing. Choose your containers, make sure that excess water can be eliminated from the soil column. Now, when it comes to potting soil, the easiest thing to do when it comes to potting soil is go down to Logan's, walk in and say you're looking for some potting soil to grow some plants in containers. Logan's has a great selection of a number of different brands of potting soil that um, are reputable. That's the one thing, some, some recognizable company, reputable, recommended and pasteurized. And of course, potting soil in a bag is all pasteurized. Potting soil technology has just skyrocketed in the past five to 10 years that most of your potting soil is going to be very, very easy to use. And the differences between one brand and another aren't that great. So you may pick your favorite brand. I like to use uh, miracle Grow. I like to use a miracle Grow moisture control potting soil. Espoma also makes a great organic-based potting soil. What matters is it's a reputable um, potting soil that's been pasteurized. And if you use one that says moisture control, then the, the quality of the peat moss is going to allow for that to maybe hold a little bit more water. And most good potting soils are now treated with a wetting agent that allows for those potting soils to be uh, to wet very easily when you water them. So please 
don't use soil from your garden. Don't take anything from outside and put it in a container because remember the physical properties are going to, are going to be changing. And so uh, that's, that's the next step is, is using a, a reputable potting soil. Let's not make it more complicated than it is. Let's take it to the next level. All right. So when we, when we go about putting our, our plants in containers, it's really important once we've planted those plants to water them. Now, anytime you plant or repot a plant in a container or a group of plants, it's important to make sure that soil is saturated. So there's a little trick here and it's very simple. Water to saturate. Anytime you water a plant in a container, water to saturate. And how do we know it's saturated? Water comes out the drainage hole. That's how we know it's water to saturate. That's so important because then all the pores are filled with water and then they, they empty, the larger pores empty and add oxygen, which roots need to grow. When you pot up a new planting in a container or you're repotting some, a plant or plants in container, we water once, wait 20 minutes, water to saturate a second time, wait 20 minutes, and then water a third time to saturate. And that kind of primes that pump. In other words, it, it makes sure that that new soil is fully saturated. Now, from that point forward, you don't have to water it three times. You only have to water it once. But upon repotting or potting up for the very first time, whether it's a moisture control or a regular potting soil, doesn't matter. Just make sure you water to saturate three times with 20 minutes in between. From that point forward, it's just water to saturate. That's the key. And so that's really important. And guys, do your very best when you're potting up a plant not to bang the pot so that it, it settles the soil or push down on it. You don't want to be compacting the soil because that's going to remove valuable pore space that adds oxygen to, to that soil. So that's, that's the, the third principle has to do with watering. Just remember in your head, drainage holes, reputable potting soil, water to saturate. All right, let's talk about fertility. Now, this one's always the one everybody, it's all kinds of things when it comes to fertility. First of all, you could choose a potting soil that has a slow-release fertilizer mixed in with it. That's one possibility. And the, and the brands will have basic types of fertilizers mixed in. That's one approach. The other approach would be actually to mix in uh, fertilizer into your potting soils. And in that case, whatever you use, make sure that you follow the instructions on the label for using in a container. Osmocote is a slow-release water-soluble fertilizer that has a recommendation for how much Osmocote to put in soil by volume at, before you, you pot up a plant. Uh, Espoma also has recommendations for using their organic material in a container. Follow the directions. They're written on the back and you can get good information for what to incorporate in. The other thing I like is to have some flexibility and control over the fertility. And if I'm growing plants in containers that are, say, summer annuals with lots of flowers that require good nutrition with a lot of rain and watering that we do to, with our containers in the summertime, it's really important to augment, to add fertility. And one of the ways that I do is I'll use a water-soluble fertilizer where I mix a teaspoon or a tablespoon in a gallon of water. And then once a month, I'll I'll just water the plant with that fertilizer solution. And that adds more fertility to, the, to that potting soil and incorporates, and incorporates into the soil and then is absorbed by the plant. And you can get some good results there. I don't want to make fertilizing to be something that bogs us down. Now we need to be concerned about fertilizer all the time. Uh, my approach would be to find a, find a good, reputable potting soil that has a slow-release fertilizer built into it or you incorporate one of your own and then augment later in the summer with a, 
with a water soluble type and and, and you really you really be be good to go with that um, that's kind of the basics of of culture when it comes to watering you might you know for a lot of containers you just need to pay attention to how fast those containers dry out plants perform better when the soil almost dries out completely between watering now obviously when the plant when those containers are outdoors that's going to be a little bit different because we're, we're at the mercy of rainfall some summers are wetter than others that's another good reason to have that drainage hole so that water cannot puddle or pool in the bottom of the container oh and by the way please 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 don't put gravel in the bottom of the container to improve drainage that's a no-no we could spend another hour talking about the physics behind not putting gravel, but it shortens the soil column. And every anytime you short, shorten the soil column, you're going to um, run the risk of having a smaller root zone because the bottom layer of, of all soil columns is going to be filled, you know, gonna, all the pores are going to be filled with water. And roots don't grow where there's no oxygen. Roots grow where there's water and oxygen. So long slender containers, no gravel in the bottom is the best way to, to maximize good water relations in a container. So y'all stop putting gravel in the bottom of the container. If you have to use gravel, mix it in the container. That's going to increase the drainage. If you have a short fat, you know, a short um, squat uh, container, then use a reputable potting soil and add perlite or add some, some small pea gravel to that to improve drainage. That's what I do with all my succulents. I amend the potting soil so that it actually drains better. You say, well, yeah, but then you're going to need to water more frequently. Well, um, probably not with succulents, but with other plants, yes. And that's one of the reasons why I grow plants is so I can spend time with them. And watering is one of those wonderful things that, that you get to do that helps to relax you and <laughs> you, you enjoy growing those plants even more. To keep animal pests, specifically squirrels, from rooting around and in container gardens and they tend to, I don't know, I think that's in their job description that they're supposed to dig and, and bury nuts and whatnot in the in containers. I mean, I've potted up plants and within an hour or two, squirrels are there, you know, helping me unpot that plant. But what I like to do is use a small layer of gravel. I use something called Permatil. It's a North Carolina product made by Staylite. It's called Permatil and it's actually used as a vol deterrent when you mix it in the soil. So it has multiple uses, but I love to use it as a, a quarter inch layer mulch on the top of my containers. And I've never seen a squirrel go in and root around in a container where I've put permatil on the top. So I'd highly recommend that. It's a, it's a kind of a slate gray color, so it's not offensive by any stretch of the imagination. By the time that container grows full out, you don't see it anyway. But that, that, that's just another little, a little trick when it comes to um, to growing plants and containers to keep to keep squirrels out of the top. So permatil on the top, uh, I like to use, a, like I said, a water-soluble fertilizer as a supplement during the growing season. When I water, I water from the top to saturate. I try to let that soil dry out completely before I water it again. Now, let's be honest, sometimes some of our containers are gonna require um, uh, irrigation in the morning uh, as the day begins if we didn't water um, the night before and then um, possibly again at the end of the day. Um, I usually get away with, uh, with watering um, late in the day, unless I see a, uh, if I see a plant uh, wilting and it's, it's short on water in the middle of the day, guess what, I'm gonna water it. But I'll usually water in the evening. I'll try not to get a lot of water on the leaves of the plant. Uh, sometimes you read about that, it says that you can improve or increase the opportunity for 
disease organisms and whatnot. Of course, if you get a thunderstorm at nine o'clock at night, the leaves are going to get wet. So, but if I'm watering the containers, I'll try to keep the water off the leaves or the flowers of the plant in the evening. I'll just, I'll, I'll just put the hose end down around the base of the container. And that's it. Then I can potscape at, at my leisure. I like to put a lot of containers out in the landscape. I've got clusters of containers on my patio. It's just, it's just a, nice, a nice way to enhance the, the outdoor gardening that I do. And it also allows me to have more plants in a smaller space closer to my home. So, so guys, head on down to Logan's and check out their containers, their potting soil, and all the different kinds of plants. The last thing I want to tell you is if you put a Japanese maple or a woody temperate plant in a container and you don't know what to do with it in the wintertime, leave it in the container, take the container, put it up in a shady location, maybe up against the house, the garage on the north side so it doesn't get any direct sun and protect it a little bit. And in, in, in this zone in, in central North Carolina, you're not going to have any, any trouble with root death when it comes to um, how cold it might get. Uh, it's, uh, sometimes I'll take pine straw bales or I'll take uh, uh, wheat straw bales and put them around the plants. If I crowd them together up against the north side of the house, it's a great way to, to provide protection. So there you have it. When in doubt, try it. That's, that's what I like to say when it comes to containers. Worst thing could happen is you know, two out of the seven plants you put in a, in a container die. And so that gives you room to plant a few more. But you can get down and do some great midsummer containers now. Logan's got lots of different types of plants to choose from. And chances are you'll be, you'll be incredibly successful. And uh, this could be the beginning of a, a long um, history of growing plants in containers. So thanks for listening. And I look forward to talking to you about some more horticulture in the future. As I work on the garden, the garden works on me. Gala Trail. We want you living well with Logan's too. And today's living well tip is as easy as simply working on your container gardens. Did you know gardening can do wonders for your well-being? According to a recent article published by UNC Healthcare, gardening is good for your self-esteem as well as your heart. Working with plants is also proven to reduce stress symptoms of depression and anxiety. And studies show that gardening can even make you happy. That's right. Studies have shown that inhaling Microbacterium vacci, which is a healthy bacteria that lives in our soil, can increase levels of serotonin and reduce anxiety. So get out there, dig in the dirt, and breathe deeply. It's good for the body and good for the soul. Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. We hope it added value and inspired you to get out in nature and get your hands dirty. Until next time, let's all be intentional to grow well, give well, and live well with Logan's. <laughs>